everyone. This is Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, uh, Container Journal, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat. Today's guest on DevOps Chat is Aviad Moore, who's the CTO co-founder of a company called Lumigo. Right, right. Okay. Aviad, welcome. Hi, Alan. I'm very excited to be here on your podcast today. Um, We're excited to have you here. So, Aviad, um, let's start off with this. I I don't think a lot of people, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think a lot of people in our audience are quite familiar with Lumigo yet. Why? Mm-hmm. Give us give us the background. What what what's the company about? Okay, sure. I'd be very happy to. So uh, Lumigo is a startup. We were founded uh, about a year ago, and we're in the serverless domain. We're uh, a company that's focusing on serverless monitoring and troubleshooting. And uh, what we're doing is we're giving customers uh, the ability to see their system, understand what's happening, and in general, allow them to adopt serverless. Absolutely. And of course, you know, serverless is really one of the hot, I mean, it's a buzzword and it's overhyped and everything else, but it really is one of the hot technologies for you know, next-gen infrastructure as we continue to move away from just pure infrastructure as a service to platform as a service and now you know, serverless to, to host your distributed applications. And it, I, I think, you, you know, I mean, we live in a bubble where when we say serverless, people know what we're talking about, right? <laughs> but we sometimes need to remember that Forget non-IT people, they think serverless and they must think it's some kind of black magic. But even people who maybe aren't up on cloud or architecture and some of the latest, you know, containerization and, and, and you know, application hosting, they're not 100% sure what serverless is. Um, for many people, it's, it's almost synonymous now with Lambda, right? With the AWS's Lambda platform. Right, right. You know, I'm so, sure so you I, probably I, see that. Go ahead. Right. So Lambda, I think, is like, it's in the heart of serverless. Uh, AWS, when they uh, announced uh, Lambda about uh, four or five years ago, that was the beginning of the serverless movement. And what Lambda is, is a function as a service. It's fast. And that allows us to see, uh, it allows the users to run their compute run specific parts of their code without having to take care uh, of any server, any container. They just write their code, upload it to the cloud provider, and decide what's the trigger for that code. So they can can run it without any issues, without having to install anything, without having to update when there's any security issues. But I want to say something. I, I think that Lambda and function as a service that's more of the technical part. I think that in many ways, serverless is a a way of thinking because serverless goes with the whole ecosystem around it. You have a database, which is serverless and API gateways. And uh, for example, file storage, which is also serverless. And that's important because when you want to uh, build a full architecture in the cloud, a full application, you can't only use functions. You need to use all of those different parts together. And you now can have a full architecture, which is composed of uh, only things that you did not install, 
Okay, mm -hmm. so I think the main part of serverless is that the server or somebody else's problem. For example, AWS or Google or Microsoft, whichever cloud you're running on. Yeah, and, and absolutely, and that is the piece of it, right? Where with cloud, the infrastructure was someone else's. You know, I so you're talking to someone who is in the in the uh, hosting and infrastructure business in the dot-com days, right? And we used to sell what we call power ping and pipe, right? And uh, and then with the with cloud, you didn't have to, you didn't sell power ping and pipe. You provided that. People didn't really care, and they just built on top of the hypervisor. Now we're seeing they don't even care all the way even through the OS at some point, right? They're just putting it, putting it on, they're just uploading their application. Um, you know, we, we mentioned AWS Lambda, but you also mentioned Microsoft and Google Cloud. And though I think AWS, like in much of cloud, is, is probably the leading player, not probably, is the leading player in serverless. You know, Microsoft and Google have some very fine offerings as well. Right, I wonder right. what you're seeing in the, in the market. So you, you, probably, you deal with it much more than I. Right. So, uh, you know, when we're looking at uh, our customers, we see that AWS is the clear leader. I think the numbers are somewhere around 60 or 70 percent in serverless. But Google and Microsoft Azure, they're giving a real fight and uh, they keep on uh, putting forward innovation and they're giving sometimes even things that you don't have in AWS. So I think that as we progress over time, we'll see more and more users in Microsoft and in Google. Although today, as you said, uh, most of the people you talk to, they're using AWS. And uh, a lot of times the people who are using Microsoft or Google are people who are already using it for other things in the cloud. So right. it's easier for them to add the serverless in the same cloud. Let me ask you a question. What about serverless not in the cloud? You want to call it private serverless, on-prem serverless. You seeing anything with that? Right, yes. So we are seeing that uh, very little, I must say. Uh, usually it's open source. So you have, for example, uh, uh, OpenWhisk and others. Uh, we see that usually in places where they can't run in the public cloud. So just a, a simple example of that would be the defense forces where they don't want to run the public cloud. They run them themselves. But usually it is in the public because I think the main thing in serverless is having somebody else taking care of everything for you. So at the end of the day, if you're still building the infrastructure and running open source, it's great, but you're still very, very much aware of exactly how many servers you have how to scale them, and any issues that you need to update manually. So sure. I think the public cloud here is a clear uh, leader. Sure. Okay, enough about serverless. Well, we're going to talk more about serverless, <laughs> but, but let's now talk a little bit about Lumigo, right, and what it is you guys do for people who are hosting apps in a serverless environment. I looked at it, and to me, a, a little bit of – APM for serverless, if you will. Uh, but there's also sort of a pre-deployment, you know, best practices approach to, so you can check before you deploy. Are you, are you, you know, are you using best practices? Is this the right way to do it? 
And then post-deployment monitoring and, and alerting as well. Fair? Yes. So I think that uh, in general, you got it. I, th I think that APM won't be completely wrong. Uh, but uh, we do have uh, in serverless uh, new challenges, right? It's a new technology. It offers amazing things. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's new and it has its own challenges. And one of the major challenges is that serverless is distributed uh, by its very nature. So when you mm -hmm. go serverless, you have a lot of uh, different parts, uh, microservices, and each one of them, it's very easy to deploy and uh, see exactly how it's doing. But if you're, for example, the DevOps who is in charge of this operation, you want to see how the whole system is working together. You want to see how they're all connected. And that's becoming very hard in the serverless world. And that's why you need uh, something like Lumigo to map everything for you, to show you uh, visualization of your environment. And that way you can see where you have issues, where you're spending uh, a lot of money maybe. That's one point that we'll talk about. And uh, like you said, you were completely right. Sometimes you can catch these things before you deploy them. Uh, serverless comes with uh, uh, a lot of uh, small things, skill sets that I think developers will have over time. Uh, but right now we can uh, help them save money and save time just by looking at the lambdas right before they deploy them and tell them how they can make it better. Fair enough. Um, so what about, you know, I, I just can't help but think, not everyone's going to move their entire infrastructure to, to serverless, right? So for the foreseeable future, you're going to have sort of a hybrid, the same way we do with cloud, frankly, right? It's a hybrid cloud environment. You have hybrid applications environment. Some of my, my applications might be in a serverless environment. Some aren't in a serverless environment, et cetera. How do, for you know, real world examples, com companies have both. What do they, how do they, you know, can Lumigo help them across the board or does Lumigo then integrate into something else or do we just need different you know, different tools and different views into the different ways we're hosting our applications? Alan, I think that that's a great question. Uh, we started out focusing on serverless because we saw that's where the greatest pain point is. Uh, but the more we're seeing uh, customers using serverless, some of them are, let's call it pure environments of only serverless. Uh, but it's also very common to have them both, you, to have a hybrid environment where you have both, for example, Kubernetes and serverless. And it does make sense because it's not one size fits all. Some tasks are better run by containers, uh, for example, long running tasks that take hours. And some tasks are much better with the serverless, for example, event-based or answering uh, quick uh, APIs. So we see hybrid solutions. And that's why we're now starting to uh, give our own solution for distributed tracing. Because when you're looking at your environment, it just makes sense that you want to see them all in one tool. You want to see how they're all interconnected. So now we're starting to uh, look at containers and Kubernetes and see how they're all working together. So now if, for example, you have uh, a Lambda that uh, uh, has a failure in it, you can see the exact 
chain of events that led to that failure. And it doesn't matter if what called that Lambda was another Lambda or maybe a container. It doesn't matter. You can see and go through all of those different calls and fix and find the root cause as quickly as possible. Excellent. I mean, as I mentioned to you, the time goes quick. I want, there's another area I wanted to hit on, and that's your personal journey. You know, whenever I'm lucky enough to have a co-founder or, you know, CTO kind of person on the show, I always like, because there's people out there listening, they're just starting in their careers, or they want to get into this. Or maybe they, they've worked in companies, but they, they aspire or dream to start their own, to found a company. Give our audience a little bit about your personal background and how you got here. <laughs> well, sure, sure. I've uh, worked uh, most of my career in Checkpoint, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is a big company, and actually in Israel, it's it's one of the biggest uh, cybersecurity. Actually, in the whole world, it's one of the biggest cybersecurity oh, sure. companies. And uh, after many years there, uh, I decided to make the move. I have to admit. On uh, one hand, it was always a dream to do that, always a dream to do something uh, of my own, something small. Uh, on the other hand, it wasn't easy. And uh, I got the opportunity to do it with the founder, uh, who wasn't only a colleague, he was also a very, very good friend, which we knew that we know how to work together. Uh, but I'll give you an example of one of the issues. People, uh, you know, came up to me and said, uh, best of luck, but you know, you're too old. You're already 38. You have, <laughs> you have a wife and three daughters. Uh, you won't be able to do this. This is only a, a young player's game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, it's like, it's a burning desire. Uh, you know that you have to do this. And uh, after I got into it, uh, first of all, of course, I got my, my family's uh, blessing because mm-hmm. without that, without my, my my wife uh, doing that, it wouldn't be possible. And then I also was very happy to see that, you know, the experience that I already gained does have some meaning. It's not uh, only the fact that you're, uh, I'm saying uh, old, like they called me, but it does have meaning that you have experience and you know how to work with customers and work in a big enterprise. And at the end of the day, uh, it's a great combination. So now when I look at it, it's, it's very hard work. Uh, I don't see my daughters as much as uh, I would want to, but I know it's uh, one of the best decisions uh, I made in, in my life. And I, I can tell you that one of the most exciting thing, things is, um, you know, to see in production, in customers' production, something that Erez and myself envisioned, and it, it was on a PowerPoint like a year ago, yeah. and now it's running and helping actual customers that that's a, a great thing. It truly is. Yeah, no, it's very fulfilling. Look, I, I've been there. And you want to know the truth, 38 is not that old for a startup. Because to start up a startup, I, you know, I'm trying to think back. I started my first company, I was, I was maybe 33, actually, 34. But um, I do think that you need a certain amount of experience, right? Now, there are some people who tell you that working in a culture like Checkpoint, as big as it is, is still rather entrepreneurial, right? Versus working in IBM or, or you know, one of these really big companies. But, and, and so you, it, and also the whole Israeli tech scene, it's a startup country and, and that, I think that kind of helps too. But, you know, you mentioned something that I think people 
don't give founders enough credit for, which is it's not easy. And you spend a lot of nights away from your family and a lot of hard hours and weekends and business trips and, you know, doing what you got to do where a lot of people who work at jobs, they, at the end of the day, they go home with a clear head, right? And, and, and so it, it is that. Last topic I want to hit before we, because we are, we're probably in overtime right now, Aviad, but I want to talk about the role of Kubernetes and serverless. I'm going to KubeCon after we finish this podcast. And, you know, they seem to be linked, but not linked, right? What, what's your take on that? I think that they're they're in the end they're linked in in two ways. I think that uh, we have to remember, although the cloud provider is the one doing it, but uh, serverless functions are running on containers, right? So they're probably running on Kubernetes or something similar to it. Uh, that's at the infrastructure level. Although you as a developer really don't care about that. But the other part, I think that as serverless grows and we are seeing it growing won't uh, replace Kubernetes. It will be alongside of it. And uh, I think that the future uh, technology stack will be a combination of serverless, uh, things like Kubernetes and uh, SaaS, right? All of those together will give uh, each and every company the best uh, solution they can get. Excellent. Avi Admor, CTO, co-founder, Lumigo. Thanks for being our guest on this DevOps chat. Alan, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. All righty. This is Alan Schimmel for MediaOpsDevOps.com, Security Boulevard Container Journal. You've just listened to another DevOps chat. Have a great day, everyone.